Before the Israelites left Babylon, the king of Persia, who had overthrown Babylon, decided to help them rebuild the temple back in Jerusalem. He organized people from all over the land to give livestock and supplies to the Israelites. He even returned all of the gold and silver that the Babylonians had stolen from the temple. 50,000 Israelites returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the altar of the temple, then laid the foundation for the building itself. Before the temple was even finished, the Israelites began to offer sacrifices and worship God in it once again. But other countries surrounding Jerusalem began to worry about the Israelites regaining power. So they sabotaged the rebuilding project, and it came to a standstill for 16 years. But God used two men, Haggai and Zechariah, to encourage the Israelites to resume building the temple and not to be afraid of their enemies. So they continued building, strengthened by the prophet's words. The opposition continued, this time from a man named Tatanai, the governor of a nearby region. He wanted to stop the Israelites from building and worked to convince the Persian king, Darius, to stop the Israelites. Not only did King Darius not stop the rebuilding project, he threatened Tatanai and anyone else who would try to stop the temple from being rebuilt, that he would kill them. Then he made Tatanai give funding, animals, and supplies to the Israelites. So the work continued, and almost 70 years after it had been destroyed, the Israelites finished rebuilding the temple. They dedicated it by sacrificing hundreds of animals to God and returning the priests back to their positions of leadership in the temple. God was once again worshiped in Jerusalem. Big news out of Washington this week. I'm not sure if you heard it or not, but of all the news that came out of Washington, this is certainly the one that we should be most concerned with. The FDA has deregulated French dressing. That's right. The Association for Dressings and Sauces has been fighting since 1998 to get French dressing deregulated. The FDA was trying to preserve the so-called standard of identity by making sure that French dressing contained certain elements such as oil and acidifying and seasoning ingredients. Now it's just a French dressing free-for-all. You can expect to have your supermarket dressing aisle completely transformed. I mean, what is French dressing without oil and acidifying ingredients? It's like French fries without potatoes. It's like the French kiss without well, I'm just going to stop right there. Here's my question. Whose job was it to fight to get French dressing deregulated for the last 23 years? Can you imagine the depth of purpose that comes with that job? I mean, can you imagine sitting next to the airplane? What do you do for a living? Oh, I design buildings. What do you do? Oh, I'm fighting to get French dressing deregulated. It's the fight of my lifetime in order to get more creative variations of French dressing in your grocery store aisle. But yet it is. What a life purpose. I mean, I can imagine doing this for other fine dressings like ranch or honey mustard, which, let's be honest, honey mustard ought to be regulated so that it includes honey and mustard. 
And I think we can all agree on that, uh, that Chick-fil-A sauce is the one that we should just keep as is. But devoting your life to French dressing just seems like something I'd rather leave to someone else. But let me ask you this. What's the one thing you're devoting your life to? I mean, of all the different things that we could devote our lives to, are we devoting our lives to things more foolish than even French dressing? What is it that is your one thing? Now, I suppose that any of us could get up and say the Sunday school answer. My one thing is Jesus. But seriously, what is your one thing? What is the one thing that you would fight for, that you would live for, that you would even lay down your life for? Today we're going to look at, take a look at a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah came a little bit after all the things that were shown in the video. Those things happened in the mid-500s. This happens in the mid-400s, about 445 B.C., if you like dates. And here's the situation. The Jewish people were no longer in exile a remnant, and probably a pretty small remnant, had returned to Jerusalem about 75 years earlier. So they rebuilt the Jewish temple, which was really a shadow of its former glory. But this guy named Nehemiah, he worked for the Persian king in his winter palace called Susa. He was a Jewish guy who had a pretty cush job. He was the cupbearer for the king. Do you know what the cupbearer's job is? Whenever they bring wine to the king, which would have been the finest wine, it was the cupbearer's job to taste it and to make sure they let him taste it. And then they waited a few hours. And if Nehemiah was all right, then they let the king have it. If Nehemiah fell over and died, they knew it was poison and they didn't let the king have it. That's not that bad of a job if you think about it. But here he is. He gets moved over the plight of his people to the point where he takes radical steps to make a difference. It becomes his one thing in life. I ask you again, what is your one thing? Would you be thinking about that today as we go through the message? What is my one thing that I would lay down my life for? That I would drop everything and serve God doing this one thing? Well, here's what we see first out of Nehemiah. The first thing is, is he had a broken heart. And if you want to know what your one thing is, you probably want to take a look and see what is it that breaks your heart. What breaks your heart more than anything else? Dominique talked about her role within the family and how she wanted to be a godly mother. She had a broken heart over that. And she's able to fill that purpose now. But in Nehemiah 1, 1, it says, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. We see that part of the evidence of his broken heart was he had a curiosity about it. Sometimes things start with as simple as a curiosity, and it moves from your head to your heart. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. If you are an ancient city without a country around you to protect you, this is bad news. The Jewish remnant, the ones who were responsible 
for being the ones who would rebuild the temple, for those being the ones who would make the sacrifices to God, are all of a sudden, they are not there. They are, excuse me, they are vulnerable. They're there, but they are vulnerable. Who is it that's vulnerable in your life that's taken notice, that you've taken notice of? And so, Nehemiah, here comes the broken heart. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I wonder if you're at that point where you need to take that next step today. There's been something that's been on your heart, something that's been troubling you, that's going on in the world or in your neighborhood or in your family. And you just need to take that next step and say, you know what, we haven't really fasted and prayed over this situation yet. Oh, sure, we've brought it up in prayer once or twice, or maybe even regularly, but have we devoted several days or even weeks to just fasting and praying, fasting and praying over what God has laid upon your heart, over how God has broken your heart? It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and he fasted and he prayed. And then it says, his prayer is this. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. The prayer goes on into a prayer of confession over how his people, how God's people have grieved him and repentance for that. C.S. Lewis has said, if we put the first things first, we get the second things thrown in. But if we put the second things first, we lose both the first and the second things. What's the first thing that you need to put in your life? What is it that is breaking your heart more than anything else? Max Lucado describes the closet of forgotten passions in his house. In it, there's a neglected telescope from when he had a passion for astronomy. In it is a stepping stone kit for their garden that's still unopened. In it are boxes of photos that have never been arranged in albums. God can never be put into the closet of lost passion. God is either the big thing or he is nothing. What's the one thing that he's laid on your heart? I know many of you are passionate about foster kids, children who have no home. Many of you have hearts broken for what's going on in Haiti right now with all the distress. Many of you want to see our church as effective as possible at spreading the gospel, and it breaks your heart. You see that we are not where we need to be. What breaks your heart more than anything else. Well, the second thing that we have to see is that Nehemiah chose to do something about it. He didn't just have a broken heart, but he fasted and prayed before the Lord, and that fasting and prayer led him to action. And so I ask you this as well. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about your broken heart for broken walls for broken people? And Nehemiah 2, verses 4 through 5 Nehemiah is presenting a cup to the king, and as he's before the king of Persia, one of the most powerful people in the world, the king sees that Nehemiah, who is normally joyful, is downtrodden, and he asks him what was going on. 
says, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. He went before the biggest king before he went before the smaller king. Prayer is interwoven throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. This is much a study on prayer as it is on building walls. If it pleases the king, he says to him, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let, me be, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah had this opportunity before the king and he took full advantage of it. The king allows him to go back and actually funds his whole journey in order to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew that he was in a position to do something about it. And so he went before the Most High King, the Lord of all, as he was going before the lower earthly king, and God provided for him. Make no mistake about it, this is not the Persian king providing, this is God providing. And I don't know if you have the opportunity to go before kings or presidents or even congressmen or women, but I do know this, you have the power to go before the Most High God, and He is the one who's going to do the providing for you. So don't neglect that responsibility. So many times when we go and we pray, we will pray for a sign. We'll say, God, give us a sign. And we wait for that sign and wait for that sign. Sometimes God gives that sign that we need to encourage us to move forward. But sometimes it's the passion that is the sign. It's the need that is the sign. And we need to recognize that it's time to move forward because God has laid this passion on our hearts. Mark Batterson, a pastor in Washington, D.C., and the author of The Prayer Circle, says the following. He says, in my experience, signs follow decisions. The way you overcome spiritual inertia and produce spiritual momentum is by making tough decisions. And the tougher the decision, the more potential momentum it will produce. The primary reason most of us don't see God moving is simply because we aren't moving. If you want to see God move, you need to make a move. He goes on to tell a story about when he was planting his church, National Community Church, and they'd been praying for a drummer to join their worship team for months, and nothing was happening. And so Batterson decided that he needed to do something as a step of faith. And so he went to a drum store, and he bought a drum set, even though they had no drummer, and they put it up there on the stage the next Sunday. That very Sunday, there was a drummer that showed up that was looking to get it plugged in, and he was a good drummer. He was actually a part of the United States Marine Drum and Bugle Corps, and he became their first drummer. I wonder, maybe you've been praying for a sign when it's time to take a step. Maybe you've been looking for a sign that God wants you to do something, but you've had this passion upon your heart, and God's saying, why don't you take a step before I give you the sign? Would you be willing to take that step of faith today for what God has already broken your heart about? One of the things that God has broken our heart for is for street kids in Kenya, and you guys have responded very well to our plea to help. This past Christmas, we decided to take up our offering for the street kids in Kenya. And as a result of that, we were able to bless six children, six young men and women, with the opportunity to get an education. And so we will be sending them to school this spring as a result of your generous donations that were given. 
If you go up here and start on the left-hand side, this is my family, obviously. We're the ones that stand out. Um, and then if you go left to right, you'll see that there is Harrison. Harrison was hit by a car about five years ago. He would have been left for dead, but several people from the States heard his story. Now Harrison is in school to become a mechanic. Next to him is Keith. The long, also, he was in the accident with Harrison and had heavy, heavy medical bills when he was hit by a car. He's now in normal school and doing a standard curriculum where he'll be able to graduate shortly. In the middle is Vincent, the one who peeled the orange. He is from the worst of the slums in Nairobi. But yet, because he has been rescued, he has now been the student of the month at his school and is number one in his class. Next to him is Franco. I remember meeting Franco several years ago on a trip to Nairobi when he was still hooked on drugs and glue. He was an absolute zombie because of the drugs. But he's been to rehab now because of the work of True International. And he's learning to weld and is doing quite well. And also coaching high school soccer. Franco is like a deer watching him run. He's an amazing athlete uh, and very gifted. And now he's using that to help other students. And while we were there, he gave his testimony about how God delivered him from drugs to about 100 other street kids, most of whom are still on drugs at their Christmas party. And finally, there's Mary. Mary's mom is an addict, and they were literally living under a piece of corrugated steel that was propped up as a roof over their heads. Her little brother was also just rescued by True and is at a home for younger boys as he is only eight. But Mary is the equivalent of a sophomore in high school right now at a boarding school. These all happened because multiple people's hearts were broken. It started with people who went over to serve. People who recognized the plight of street children in Kenya and have been building teams. And then it continued with all the people who have come alongside and decided to support their work. And it continued on with us in our Christmas offering. And it will continue on again and again and again as God continues to break hearts for broken walls or for broken people. And so it leads to this next thing that we see about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah chose to bring people with him. He chose to bring people along, not necessarily from Persia, but once he got there to Jerusalem, he rallied a team. And so we ask this question to you. Who are you bringing with you? Who is it that's going to come alongside of you and to help you accomplish your passions? Or maybe it's not who is going to come alongside of you, but who are you going to come alongside of? When we were in Omaha and God broke our hearts for those who were underprivileged children, we started to see the need for kids and beds, that kids were sleeping on the floor. And we didn't think that was right, unless it's a slumber party and then you can get by for a night or two. The kids are simply not going to get educated well. They're not going to receive education well if they're not getting a good night's sleep. We could have started our own thing, but we found somebody else who was already doing it and sleep in heavenly peace. And it made the journey a lot easier for us. You don't have to be a starter in order to have your heart broken and in order to do something for God. Maybe it's that you need to come alongside somebody else who's already doing what you want to do and learn from them. In Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18, it says, Then I, meaning Nehemiah, said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. 
Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I love that. Nehemiah talked about the need. You see the need. Jerusalem is in ruins. He talked about how God had answered his prayers. Look at all these provisions that have been sent by the Persian king. That's obviously because God wants us to rebuild that wall. And then after that, after, the need, after he shared the need, and after he shared the answer to prayer, the people responded with the response to let's start rebuilding. Who is it that you're sharing your passion with? Who is it that you're sharing the need that's out there? Who is it that you are sharing how God has provided for you to get started? Chances are, if you're sharing, you will have people that say, I'd like to get involved in that too. How can I help? Well, as we go through this story, we see that one of the next steps that happens with Nehemiah is that he faces opposition. And let me just promise you, if you are going to go to bat for people who are underprivileged or underserved, if you are going to stand up for people who are being oppressed, if you are going to see a need and have your heart broken for it, I promise you that you will face opposition. Because Satan wants to keep those people in bondage. He wants those people to be held back rather than to see them move forward. And I promise you that you will face opposition, but the opposition that you face will actually help you to grow in your faith. That the faith that you have now will grow as you take steps of faith. And I'd love to tell you it's when you see all the answers to prayer, but before you see the answers to prayer, you're probably going to see opposition first. You have to stand strong through the opposition what we see happening with Nehemiah is that when the people come against him, he makes this stand to pray and post a guard. That's specifically what it says in Scripture, is that he prays and posts a guard. Here it is in Nehemiah 4, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They saw a vulnerable people that weren't going to be vulnerable anymore. And so they all plotted to come together and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So what was Nehemiah's response? But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed and we posted a guard. Now, some of us are going to be better at praying than posting a guard. Others of us are going to be better at posting a guard than we are to praying. But the answer is that we really do need both, don't we? We need both faith and wisdom. We need to pray and post a guard. There's this story about an old farmer that every time the preacher would ask him to pray, the farmer would include in his prayer, Lord, prop me up on my leaning side. The preacher had no idea what he was talking about, so the preacher asked him one day, what are you talking about, about this whole idea of prop me up on my leaning side? The farmer said, well, you see those old barns that are always start to lean after so much time, they're in danger of falling over. It's because they're weighted too much to one side. And so what we do is we prop them up on their leaning side with posts. We put posts in order so that barn can still be used. And he told the preacher, the reality is, is that we as human beings all lean to one side. 
We all are about ready to fall if we're not careful. And so we have to prop ourselves up on our leaning side to make sure that we don't collapse. It's true, isn't it? We are all just moments away from collapse in many ways. And we've got to pray that God will prop us up on our leaning side. And when we're serving the Lord and when we're praying and posting a guard, chances are we're going to lean too heavily towards one or the other naturally. And so we have to prop ourselves up on the other side and work harder. If prayer is not our thing, we have to work harder at it. We can't neglect it. If posting a guard or working and serving and taking those steps of faith is the harder part, we need to prop ourselves up on that side and push ourselves to excellence there, even when it's harder. This past week, one of our blessed saints, Donna Whitaker, passed away. Had the chance to visit with Donna a couple of times before she passed. And I got a chance to see her prayer book. Donna had a prayer book that was well-worn from all the prayers that she had prayed for people over the years. I was on Sunday. There's a picture of my family in there. She had taken this book and she had cut and pasted different pictures. She actually got mine off Facebook. She couldn't find it at the time, and so she, she snooped me on Facebook and found a picture of me and my family and put it on there. If you want to do the same thing, you can snoop me all you want if you're going to be praying for me, all right? Here is this well-worn book of her prayers but I also saw that Donna was someone through her involvement here at East Point and through everyone else, every other church she'd been to throughout her life, she was someone who prayed and posted a guard. She was someone who did both well. I don't know if one of them came more naturally to her because I got to meet her at the end of her life. She was really good at both. But my guess is that she probably had to work harder at one than she did the other throughout her life because she's a human being too. Where is it that you need to prop yourself up on your leaning side? Work a little harder to the things that don't come naturally. It will be worth it. The final thing that we see about Nehemiah is that when he faced opposition, is that he chose to remember the faithfulness of God. Is that he reminded himself and he reminded the others when opposition was coming against them that God had been faithful and that he will continue to be faithful. In Nehemiah 4.14, it says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When he looked up and saw what was going on in his situation, he recognized that there was plenty to be afraid of. And in your situation, there's probably plenty to be afraid of as well. If you're truly going to take strides forward where God has broken your heart, you are going to face situations where you are afraid. I promise you that will happen. If you never have moments where you are afraid, then you probably need to take bigger steps of faith. So here he is facing these people who are afraid and he tells them to remember the faithfulness of God. This is something that stands true when you face fear or when people you are leading are afraid. You have to tell them God has been faithful time and time again. He was faithful enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Will he not also give us everything else that we need? Remember the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And He will be faithful to meet the needs that you have when your heart is broken for a broken wall and for broken people. I want to pray a prayer over you as we conclude today. This is a prayer of Sir Francis Drake, who was an explorer and naval pioneer during the Elizabethan era. And it's not a prayer that is nice and comfortable, but it's a prayer asking God to disturb us. For God to break our hearts for broken walls. To break our hearts for broken people. So I'm going to ask as I pray this prayer over you that you would stand with me. Let's stand together. And if you would just hold your palms open in front of you as I pray this prayer. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we have sailed too closely to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life, having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity and our efforts to build a new earth. We have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on the wider seas where the storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of the land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future and strength, courage, hope, and love. Amen? May you be disturbed this week for the things that break the hearts of God. You can be seated. As we wrap up the message today, I want to share several announcements with you. And as we share these announcements, I'm going to go ahead and ask our Unstoppable team if they would go ahead and make their way up here to the stage. You can make your way and stand on either side of me if you would. Uh, first announcement, uh, next Sunday is our Vision Sunday and annual congregational meeting. And so we will have our congregational meeting at the end of both services where we will be voting on uh, new bylaws as well as voting to affirm our eldership. Uh, and so if you have any questions about our new bylaws, you can look at them online uh, at our website. There are links for both of them, or excuse me, for our bylaws, uh, for both the old ones and the new ones. And also this coming Tuesday evening, if you want to come and hear about our new bylaws, we will have a meeting uh, at 6.30 p.m. this Tuesday, the 25th, in classrooms A and B, which are right over here, we welcome you to come and to attend that if you have any questions. Also, if you are not going to be here next week, uh, we can also get a ballot to you so that you can participate. We will not be doing online voting, but we will allow people to let us know if they need a ballot, and they can uh, get one of those and turn that in. On February 6th, we have a meal pack event coming up for Lifeline Christian Mission. Uh, this is a fun event that we always do here in the gymnasium where we're going to pack about 20,000 meals for those who are in need. Specifically this year, we'll be packing for Haiti uh, for those who are in need because of all the distress that they have had there, and we want to welcome them 
uh, and we want to uh, help them. Uh, a lot of people's hearts are broken for what's going on there, and this is a way that we can help. You can bring your family if you'd like, and everybody can participate. You can sign up online at our website under the events. If you are new to East Point, we want to let you know about the taste of East Point that is coming up here. Uh, this is a meal that's going to happen on Sunday, February 13th, after the service. We provide the meal. You get to provide the questions. We will be sharing with you more about who we are as East Point, how you can get plugged in. We'd love to have you come. Uh, just simply sign up on the website uh, and uh, come and get a great free meal uh, and get a chance to hear about East Point and get a chance to ask your questions. Uh, and finally, on Saturday, February 12th, we have a uh, roadmap workshop for homemakers. Uh, Dominique, who shared her Only God Can story, uh, is going to be sharing about uh, some skills that she has learned about how, she, uh, uh, about how you can be most effective uh, as a homemaker, whether you work in the home or whether you work outside the home. This is a great opportunity as a part of our ladies' ministry. Uh, it's only $10. You can sign up on our website as well or ask Dominique if you have any questions after the service. All right, I want to introduce to you today our unstoppable team. That's a high, that's a high task, isn't it? Um, but uh, our unstoppable team uh, is going to be working towards our unstoppable stewardship initiative, our generosity initiative that we're going to be doing in the month of our March and into the first week of April. And so I want to, want to introduce our team who's going to be working hard over the next few uh, months here uh, and just ask for your prayers for these people as we work together in order to help, to help our church to thrive financially. Uh, and so I'm just going to ask as I introduce each person if they would uh, step forward and just give you a little wave here. Uh, you don't have to do like a turn, just a wave is enough, okay? Uh, our administrative director is Carrie Alampi. Our children's directors are David and Jaquetta Alexander. Our communication director is Nick Bratzis. Our campaign director is Josiah Emmel. Our prayer director is Scott Brown. Our special events director is Rachel Barrett. Our video director is Chris Gates. And our youth director is Ann Masana. All right, we're going to ask that, uh, yes, thank you for... Uh, We want to appreciate their service, but we also want to be praying for them, uh, as this is a big task for our church. It's going to be an only God can moment in the life of our church. I'm convinced of that, uh, and we are going to hear more about it starting next week. So we invite you to come as we celebrate our Vision Sunday next Sunday. All right, let me pray for this team, and it will be our closing prayer as well. Let's go ahead and stand together as we pray for our team. God, I just want to thank you for the willingness of these people uh, up here on the stage with me to serve you and to uh, be willing to move forward in faith with this unstoppable initiative. And Lord, as we look to see how we can help our church to be an unstoppable force for your kingdom in our community, uh, we just pray for you to show up. Lord, just as Nehemiah saw, had a broken heart over the need that he saw, Lord, our hearts have been broken over the need that we have in our congregation, and we long to see your provision Lord, do again what you did through Nehemiah. Do it again here at East Point. Do it again through this team. Do it again through this congregation as we see your provision for your people. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace.